Father, we can come boldly to your throne of grace this morning because Jesus did something for us we could never do for ourselves. As we hear your word, open our hearts, Lord, open our minds, and let this word of God sink deeply into where we really need it through the power of your Holy Spirit. And for John, may the words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Churches are in marketing battles to get people to go to their church. Churches are in marketing battles to get people to go to their church. That's what someone said to me a few years ago. I told him about what we were doing here at New City Fellowship, and he said, well, churches are really just fighting over people to get them to come to their church. And I didn't quite agree with him at the time, but then someone else said it to me again recently, and I've started to wonder if it's true, because occasionally in my Facebook feed, I'll get advertisements for churches, and their tagline is like, we're not like those other churches. It's like, oh, well, aren't we kind of all in this together? Aren't we all... Aren't we all the church of Jesus, and shouldn't we be reaching new people rather than trying to get the same people to come to our, our churches? So I kind of understood where those people were coming from that said that churches are just trying to fight over the same people. And to them, I think church seems a little irrelevant. Sometimes church, though, seems like a problem to people. God's put the church here in the world to actually engage the problems of the world. But sometimes the church itself can be a problem. Scandal after scandal after scandal with the church. Silence about issues of injustice, even when people in authority are saying things they shouldn't. By the way, if you're from Haiti, we don't believe that you come from a country that we're, that's described as it's been described by our president. I don't think that's right that he said that. Um, and as a church, we can't be silent when things like that are said, especially when there's people from Haiti who come to our church. But the perception is, as the church, that we're silent about these issues. And the church isn't fixing the world's problems. The church is the problem. And so people say, what good is the church? But I think even for Christians, sometimes they wrestle with, what is the church supposed to be? I mean, what is it? What is it about? What are we supposed to do with it? What, what, how do we engage with it? And Colin Smith talks about four basic mindsets that people have about the church because they don't really know what it's supposed to be. Some people think of the church as like a gas station. It's where I kind of pull up and stop through and get my spiritual tank full for the week and then I move on. And I don't come back until I'm on empty again. Some people don't see it as a gas station. Some people see it as a movie theater. You show up to get entertained and you escape from real life for an hour and a half, and then you have to go and enter back into real life. Some people, not just a movie theater, but a drugstore. I am in pain, and I need to fill a prescription to deal with the pain in my life. So the church offers me some sort of therapy. It's like therapeutic for me. But some people see it as a big box retailer. It's a, a place where you go to get products and programs and services, and it's in a clean environment, and there's nice people. And so the church is like a big box retailer. I think fundamentally, we are very confused about what the church is supposed to be. And we, we tend to think about it simply going to church. And by that, we mean we're going to go to a church building. But God has so much more for us 
and what it means to not just go to church, but to actually be the church. We've lost what it means to be the church in our culture so that people who aren't involved in the church, they don't know what we're supposed to be about. And even people who are in the church don't really realize what it's supposed to be about. We've lost what it means to be the church. And fundamentally, the church is about not a building, but a people. The church is a people. It is a movement of people who have been radically changed by God. And this morning, I want to look at the early church in Acts 2 and 4 and ask that question. What does it mean to not just go to church? What does it mean to be the church? Because as we wrestle with it now, 2,000 years ago, they were wrestling with the same question because they were the first church, the first people being something based on the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. They were being the church. They were a movement of people. So let's read Acts 2 and Acts 4. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And then let's look at Acts chapter 4, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. The church is not a building, but a radical movement of people. People who have been radically shifted by something, and they're radically sharing and sacrificing for each other. And then they exist for this radical purpose. We're gonna talk about today what it means to be the church. First of all, it is a group of people who have been shifted by the good news of Jesus. All of us know that this world is a broken place, and if you're honest, you know that you are a broken, you're a broken person living in a broken place. And the reason that we are broken people is because we have been separated by God because of our sin. We have this longing to know God and to be united with him, but he's not here. He's not present among us physically because in the Garden of Eden, man rebelled against God. 
Adam and Eve first sinned against God and were separated from him. And since then, man and woman has been separated from God because of our rebellion and sin. Our rebellion is simply this, I want life on my terms, not on God's terms. And every one of us wants that. Everyone wants to be the king of our own life. We want to be in control. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. But that sinful rebellion separates us from God. And because he is our creator, because all of life is from him, he is in the rightful place as judge, and he has the right to judge our rebellion. And so not only are we separated from him in this life, but if we are not restored to him, we will be separated from him in the life to come. The world is a broken place and we are broken people because we are separated from God. But the good news is that God sent his son Jesus to reunite us to himself. God the Father in his great love for each and every rebel sent Jesus to come near even though we were separated, and die on the cross for our sins, and be put in a tomb, and on the third day be raised from that tomb unto new life. And then he lived for 40 days, and he was ascended into heaven where he was placed on a throne because he is the rightful king. And one day he promises to come and return and make all things new. And the church is a group of people who have been shifted by that good news about Jesus. It's a group of people who say, I need forgiveness and I need restoration to God. I'm a mess and I know I'm separated from him and I know I'm a rebel in my heart. I don't know if God tells me to do something, my first instinct is to do something else. But when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for my sin. And when he rose from the dead, I rose to new life because his Holy Spirit now lives in me. And I'm fighting against my tendency to wanna be king of my life or queen of my life because I know that there is one true king in heaven. And people who are part of the church have been shifted by this good news. In fact, this church that we read about in Acts 2 was the first group of people who had been shifted by that good news. 3,000 of them. They heard the message that they were broken and separated from God but that through Jesus, they could be restored. And it says that they repented. They turned away from being king and queen of their life and they believed. And all of a sudden they have this common experience where 3,000 of them say, we have been shifted by the good news of Christ. And all of a sudden they are brought to God through Jesus and together through Jesus. The church is a movement of people who have been shifted by the good news of Jesus and all of a sudden find themselves sharing a common life together. They're brought together by what Christ has done on their behalf. And that's what we see. If you can go to verse 242, if we have that there, it says that as soon as they were baptized, they began devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They begin to recenter their lives about this news of what Jesus has done, but they, they do it together. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. That means the teaching about Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension and his return. They begin to understand how their life has been radically changed 
by Jesus. And they begin to follow and give constant attention to this teaching. The apostles were people who had literally been in the presence of the resurrected Lord. They had seen the resurrected Savior. And so the people were basing their lives based on this teaching about Jesus, devoting themselves to this teaching, but also to the fellowship. Fellowship, it's in our word, it's in our name right there, New City Fellowship. But what it means is a commonality, a, a unity, a coming together, a community of people. And the people began developing and devoting themselves to this new community of people who had been shifted by the good news and were now sharing a common life together. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And what I think this means is they had meals with each other that were also the Lord's Supper, the communion that we're going to take at the end of the service. They were eating together. They were not just doing spiritual things, but they were just sharing life and friendship together because they had all been changed by the good news of Jesus. And then lastly, to prayer. They were devoting themselves together to pray. The amazing thing about prayer is that once Jesus has ascended to heaven and he is now our representative at the right hand of God, we are people who live on earth, but all of a sudden we have a representative of heaven. And we can ask that representative of heaven to change what's here on earth. And so these first Christians were people who devoted themselves to prayer because of what Jesus had done for them. They devoted themselves together, it says in verse 46 in chapter 2. They devoted themselves together. They went into the temple, which was a public place of worship. They continued to engage outwardly, and yet they spent time together in homes because they're sharing a common life together. The church is a group of people, a movement of people who are sharing a common life together, centered around the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. But also, they're sacrificing for each other as family. They're sacrificing for each other as family. In verse 44 and 45, it says, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. It's almost as if like they're making a new kind of family where they're widening the circle of who they will take care of. If you have been saved by Jesus and you believe in Jesus and I have been saved by Jesus and believe in Jesus, all of a sudden we're connected and I have this connection with you where it's not just theoretical, like I'm here to take care of you and you're here to take care of me. We're part of this together. And what we saw from this early church is they were willing to radically sacrifice for other people, not just share a common life, but sacrifice for one another. In chapter 4, verse 34 and 35, it says, For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as he had need. What it says before that is that great grace was on all of them. And the grace was that they had come to know Jesus, but they were radically sacrificing for each other. See, grace affects how we, re, how we treat each other. It is God's blessing, but the grace was manifested among this early church in that there was no needy persons. Not because they weren't in need, but because people were willing to sacrificially love them by selling their property in order to take care of someone else's need. Sharing a common life, 
but sacrificing for each other as if we're family. Because, because of what Jesus has done, we are family. We are family. And then in verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 36 and 37, we get this snapshot of Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement. He sold a whole field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is really significant because it's not just like a property probably that he bought. It was probably something that had been passed through the generations of his family. And we're not sure whether that property was in Cyprus, which is an island away from the Holy Land, or if it was property in the Holy Land. But if it was property in the Holy Land, that's even more significant because it's his right as a Israelite to own property in the Holy Land. And yet he's willing to sacrifice and sell that in order to take care of those in need. Radical sacrifice in order to love another follower of Jesus. You know, I've been so encouraged by how generous our little church is. I've been so encouraged. Last year, we set aside some money. Uh, we call it the benevolence fund. And when someone can't pay a bill or they're in need or they're at the end of the road or they can't pay their rent, we try and help them out if we can. We try and do that very responsibly. But what happened last year is we had people in need. You know, life's hard. You run out of money. And we went through that benevolence fund pretty quickly last year. But then people in this congregation began to, be, to give specifically for others in need in this congregation without me even asking. Without me even asking. So much so that we had another amount of money come in for benevolence that was one and a half times the original amount of benevolence that we had budgeted. In other words, we had church money for those in need, and then we had money from you. And the money from you to help other people in need in this church was way more than we had originally set aside. What a generous church. I love that about our church, and I didn't have to ask anyone to give. That's incredible sacrificing for each other as family because we, we're in this together. And it's like we're part of this family business. I mean, we're God's blended family. God is our father and he has called us to, to do something together. And it, you know, if you've ever been part of a family business, everything kind of blends together. You know, it's like, you're not really sure who's doing what all the time and, and sort of you use your resources to help another person and they use something they have to help you because you're all part of something that's much greater and you have a direction that you're heading. And what's important is not whose is what and what is whose, but where you're going and that you all get there together. That you all get there together. We have a mission as the church. See, the, the church is a people that exists for a radical mission. And that mission is that we exist for those who actually aren't in this room this morning. Someone said that the church is one of the only organizations in the world that exists for that, the people outside of the organization. We exist not just for ourselves, but to reach other people with, for Christ, to reach other people with God's love, to share the good news about what Jesus has done for us with those who aren't in this room right now. Too often, I think, churches think that their mission is us for and no more. We want to start a click. We want to feel comfortable. Life is hard, which it is. And so once we find our people, we sort of lock arms and we help each other get through life. 
but we don't unlock our arms when someone else needs to be part of our circle. But that's not what the church is about. The church is about inwardly growing, but doing so as we're outwardly facing. Inwardly growing, but outwardly facing. These believers, these early believers, they were so baffled by what God had done for them, and they're just trying to figure out what it means to be the church, and they're in each other's homes, but they don't stop engaging other people. They go together to the temple, which isn't a church. It's not a Christian place. It was a a Jewish place where God was celebrated in the Jewish tradition, but these people continued to engage at the temple. They didn't say us four no more. They, they went and engaged other people. Look what it says in verse 431. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. See, they were outwardly facing in order to share the good news of Jesus with other people. And what happened? Well, people saw this radical community where they're sharing a common life. People saw the radical sacrifice that people were making for individuals. People heard the gospel and they were attracted to it. It caught their attention. The author writes that daily people were added to their number. Daily people were seeing what was going on with this church, this first church, and they were attracted to it. They were drawn to it. And they said, I want in. What is the source of what you're doing? And they were able to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And people repented and believed and joined the fellowship. 246 through 47 says that the Lord added to their number. I think, if I can be honest, I think our modern church here in the United States is often confused about how to attract people. Because I think what we do is we turn the sound up really loud and we get the smoke machines going and the laser lights flying around and we sort of then draw a crowd, we kind of hide things about the Bible and about God that are hard to talk about because we know it'll turn people off. Let me encourage you, it's not the smoke and lights that should attract people to the church. It's the sacrifice and love. It's the sacrifice and love of people in the church. It's not the glitz and glam. It's the good news. It's the good news of Jesus. That coming through us and changing us and affecting how we treat each other, that then people see what's all that love about. And people are drawn in and hear about how Jesus has changed sinners like me and sinners like you and are attracted to the church. It's not about branding ourselves as a different or new kind of church, right? We're not trying to be a new kind of church. We're just trying to be the church. We're just trying to be part of that movement of people that Jesus has set forth in a trajectory to be good news people in this world. I don't want to be a new kind of church. I just want to be the church. I want to be the church. What's amazing about these early believers, they didn't even have a name yet. They weren't called Christians for like several more chapters. Uh, They were just called the people who had been with Jesus, people of the resurrection, believers, people who had been rescued. And it's amazing. They weren't out to like start a new brand. They were just like, we've been with Jesus and he's changed us. Church, as I look at what the early church was, I am so energized. 
I'm so energized by what God did that people's trajectory was radically shifted as they became good news people. And then they share this common life together and they begin radically sacrificing and loving one another. And then, but even, even as they are bonded together, they don't say us four no more. They exist for those outside the church and the people outside the church see their radical love and they're drawn to it. Do you want that? Do you want to see that grow in our church? Of course you do because you're good news people. You have been saved by what Jesus has done for you on the cross. You have the Holy Spirit living inside you who is building these things up in you and these longings. And you have a desire to be what God has called us to be. You have a desire to be the church. You are the church. We don't have to try to be it. We just have to be in line with the trajectory that God is sending us on. We are the church. We are the representatives of Jesus in this city. We are the people who have been saved by grace. We are still sinners, but we are forgiven. And though we are broken people, we are learning how to love one another. We are the church. And I want to encourage you to cultivate that. We're in this series called Cultivate. And Cultivate is about uh, planting and watering and gardening things so that down the road it grows into something beautiful. And here's how we cultivate our church. First of all, you have to follow Jesus in a fellowship. You have to follow Jesus in a fellowship. Over and over, the word together is used in the New Testament and in the book of Acts. Like they were together. They were a part of something. They were in it. They were individuals, but they were individuals who were together. Participation in the local church is essential. Sometimes when people come and, and they become part of New City Fellowship, and I get the sense that they're not going to stay, I'm like, look, please stay. But if you don't, let me help plug you in somewhere else because you need to be walking with a body of believers. You can't be a follower of Jesus who's gone rogue. You've got to be participating in a fellowship in order to grow. I know some people say, look, I don't need that. I got the podcast I can listen to. You know, I got my favorite preacher or I can watch it on TV. I want to follow Jesus my way. Let me encourage you to follow Jesus, Jesus's way. Following Jesus, Jesus's way is to follow him in a fellowship of believers. And know it, I know it's messy. I know it's not always perfect. I know that we are sinful, imperfect people, but isn't everybody? Isn't everybody a sinful and perfect, imperfect person? And the good news is, is that we are a hospital for sinful, imperfect people like you and like me. That's what the church really is. So of course it's a mess. And if you really want to follow Jesus, you have to be part of what he's doing. And what he's doing is making us new. So follow Jesus in a fellowship. Author Carmen Renee Berry said that she had, she had left the church because of all the broken, messy, imperfect people. But then she went back to the church when she realized that she herself was a broken, imperfect, messy person. She said this, where human frailty once served as a reason for me to withdraw from the church with its unruly and divergent congregants, some of you all are unruly and divergent, this is how, this is now what compels me to go back to the spiritual community. I had overlooked one essential factor, she said. 
that I am as finite and flawed as everybody else. I am as finite, as flawed as everybody else. You know, people say that we can't really learn to love unless we're learning to love in a fellowship. We can't really receive grace until someone knows us deeply and offers us grace. We can't really learn to hope because by ourselves, our hopes turn into fantasies unless they're rooted in the fellowship of believers and in the story of Jesus. It is essential that if you want to follow Jesus, you do so in a fellowship. And what that means is you got to follow the number one rule of Christian community. The number one rule of Christian community is really simple. Show up. (laughs) Show up. It's that simple. If you want to follow Jesus in the fellowship, you just got to be committed to show up and start there. But secondly, if we want to cultivate our own church, we need to choose community over consumerism. Choose community over consumerism. Our world is becoming more and more catered to each individual person. I mean, you have your preferences on your web browser. Uh, you, can, you can change your Facebook feed so you only listen to the people you want to listen to. You, you know, I could take you over to my house now and we could watch a movie and we'd have like 2,000, maybe 200,000 movies to choose from. It's all catered to who I want to be. It's all catered to our pre- preferences. And that's called we're catering to the consumer. And what ends up happening is we get that in our mind. Everything should be according to my preferences. And then we bring that mentality into the church and we begin to choose consumerism over community. Consumerism over community. But let me encourage you, we're not here to consume a church experience. We're here because we're citizens of the kingdom of Jesus. And so we have to be willing to fight against that appetite. That appetite, yep, amen. We have to be willing to fight against that consumeristic appetite that's in all of us that says, I want what I want and I should get it and I should get it the way I want it now. I should get the way I want it now. But let me encourage you, just because you have an appetite for it does not mean it is healthy for you, okay? After the new year, Virginia said, listen, let's do a food cleanse. And I said, that sounds horrible, but I'll give it a shot. So we decided that for 10 days, we were going to eat fruit for breakfast, salad for lunch, and veggies for dinner. Fruit, salad, veggies. Fruit, salad, veggies. By day four, I was tired of fruit salad, veggies. I was, trying, I was tired of trying to pretend that a lacrosse was my dessert. You know what I mean? I got tired of that. Fizzy water, that's not a good dessert. And I began to have an appetite for more, even though I was eating healthy food. And so I began putting honey Dijon mustard on my vegetables, just something to give it some taste, to get that vegetable taste out of my mouth. And then on Friday, I was like, I can't do this anymore. My two-year-old had a bag of potato chips, and in my mind, I was like, well, those are vegetables. Give me those, you know? (laughs) And uh, I was like, you know, I have an appetite for something else, and I want it, and I want it now. But you know what? I was actually on a very healthy path. I had an appetite for things that were not healthy, but I was eating healthy. The point is, what you want isn't always 
good for you. And sometimes your consumeristic appetite that you choose isn't actually healthy for you. Because as we walk in community, there's always this tendency and this appetite for what you want. But really, as we're walking together and we're giving preference to each other, we're doing what's best for everybody rather than just what's best for us, we're learning to love. And love is healthy. Love is good. Love is right. A lot of times people leave churches, but they're just really detoxing from consumerism. And they, haven't, they don't know that that's what's going on. And so when things aren't according to their preferences, they're like, I'm out. But wait a minute, you had an awesome opportunity to learn how to love and to be loved and to be known and to grow in the gospel. The church provides us this opportunity to detox from consumerism. And so we just need to keep that in our minds to choose community over consumerism. But then lastly, if we want to cultivate this in our church, if we want to cultivate our church, act the actions. Act the actions. You know, we use the term go to church, and that's, that's not a bad term. But there's so many more actions that the early church did, and going to church wasn't really one of them. Listen to the verbs that the early church acted on. They were baptized. They devoted themselves. They were together. They sold their stuff and distributed they ate food. Someone say amen. They, they ate food. They, they praised God together. They shared their resources. They shared about Jesus with other people. They devoted themselves together. Act the actions. You know, if we want to become more like the New Testament church, we have the power of God in us. By grace, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Let's just act these out and see what happens. We don't have to study the terms or have discussion groups that never go anywhere about what it means to act the actions. Care about someone in this community. Sacrifice for them. Go and pray with them. Spend time together. Take them out for a meal that's not vegetarian. <laughs> act the actions together. And the amazing thing about this was it wasn't a burden to the early church. It wasn't a burden to them to do all these things because everything they were doing was a response. It was all a response. And so it says this in 2, 46 and 47. Listen to, their, listen to their emotional life here. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This acting the actions and choosing community over consumerism and following Jesus together wasn't a burden. It was their emotional highlight. It was the emotional highlight that they had joyful and sincere hearts because of what Jesus had done for them. They got to be part of this together. And everything they did was merely a response to an action that had already been done on their behalf. The good news of what Jesus had done for them. And I can't think of a clearer picture of what Christ has done for us than this table right here. This table represents the body and blood of our Lord. And the early church took the Lord's Supper, the body and blood of the Lord, these symbols and these signs, they took it frequently because they needed to be reminded, just like you and I, that Christ Jesus has died and paid for our sins and has been resurrected 
And he has ascended to the throne where he has been enthroned as king. And one day he will return for us and to make all things new. We need this today if we're going to be the church. We need to remember what Christ has done for us. And really, it's not something as a church, when we, if we want to be the church, it's not something that we just sort of try hard to do. It is that Jesus has purchased his church for himself, and we need only walk in what he has already done for us. We're going to take the Lord's Supper now, and I'm going to invite you to gather in a circle, representing our unity around the outside of the room here. Musicians are going to come up, and Chad and I will serve the supper.